you got a Bible, go to uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 13 through 18 today. In our statement of beliefs, here is what we say about the return of Christ. We believe there will be a sudden, personal, visible, bodily return of Christ. As believers, we eagerly long for Christ's return, the time of which is unknown. The final result of Christ's return will be the judgment of unbelievers and the final reward of believers. And then believers will live with Christ in new heavens and a new earth for all eternity. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will reign and be worshipped in a never-ending kingdom with no more sin, sorrow, or suffering. As I, as I think back to my life, both personally and pastorally, there are believers in Christ who I miss. Brothers and sisters in the Lord who have gone to be with the Lord. People like Amy and Keith and Grandma and Grandpa and Harlan and David and Bob and Andrea and many others. People who I've grieved at their passing, who I still miss. When people pass, we experience loss, and in doing so, we grieve. I'm sure as you consider your own, way, your own life, you, you quickly recall loved ones who knew and trusted in the Lord, whose earthly way of life revealed that trust and faith, and who are no longer with us. I know from calling one church home for 17 plus years, there are households, including households yet this year, including the Bulls family and others, who have lost loved ones, who we have grieved with, lost spouses, parents, grandparents, siblings, children, friends. And, the, and in the future, on this side of heaven, there will be other brothers and sisters who we will see pass away. That is not some cryptic, prophetic statement. It's just the reality of life. Since Genesis 3, when the fall of man occurred and sent into the world, with it came death and with it came mortality. And the Scriptures tell us that life here on this earth is like a, a vapor. It's a mist. In the grand scheme of eternity, it's very, very brief. And the Lord numbers our days. He numbers the hairs on our head. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here today on a glorious weather day. I'm not hoping that you walk out melancholy and depressed. I'm actually hoping and praying that this morning that this passage of God's living Word, an active Word, would bring you comfort. It would bring you hope. Whether that be as we consider fellow believers who we've lost in the past, or this is an encouragement to those of us who will lose loved ones in the future and be a comfort then as a pastor, I don't want you to be without hope. I don't want you to be without hope. We are gospel people centered on the good news of Jesus, and the gospel is a gospel of hope. Our God is a God of hope, even and especially in the passing of an earthly believer in Christ. This is Paul's hope here as he writes these words to the Thessalonians to bring them comfort and hope. And then he calls them to encourage one another with this truth. The goal of these six verses is not to give a detailed play-by-play -play of end times and get lost in the weeds on secondary matters. He's writing to a collective church just like us who is called to live out their faith in a unified collective way. And as shepherds of souls, he's seeking to comfort and speak courage into the people of God. The Thessalonians are experiencing grief, and Paul wants them to have hope in the midst of that grief. Paul was there. He planted the church. He had to leave a few weeks after planting it, after being forced out of town by a riot. And, and since he's been gone, the Thessalonians have lost siblings in the family of God, and they've people who have died prior to Jesus coming for his second coming. Christmas, 
less than two months away, not to cause stress in you. Hopefully it doesn't, but Christmas, Jesus, born of a virgin, taking on flesh to dwell among us, born with the purpose to live, to die, to rise again on the third day. Jesus then ascends to heaven. One day he will, ter- will return. Christmas is the first advent, the first coming of Christ. Jesus will come again, and that will be his second advent. And just like the Thessalonians did, we are living in the time in between these two advents. So what happens to believers in Christ who pass during these years? This is what the Thessalonians were wondering about. Paul, Timothy, and Silas brought the gospel to the city and its people, and people received and welcomed the good news. They repented and believed and became Christians, and a church was formed, and yet some of them in that church passed away. What then? What happens to them? Will they miss out on Jesus' second coming? Are they in jeopardy of missing the the victory, the fellowship, the blessing of heaven? Some of you who are Christ followers are unsure about this. And so I want to inform you, like Paul will say, and I pray that by informing it might comfort. It might comfort you. Let's read all six verses and then we'll talk through them. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by word from the Lord, we who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Verse 13 again, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Sleep was a common way to express death in the ancient world. Christians used the term sleep as well, but it was more the idea of rest. Early Christians began to call their burial places cemeteries, which means dormitories or sleeping places. The picture of sleep implies one of peace that Psalm 4.8 would speak of. Sleep is a temporary state. It's temporary in nature. When you lay down at night or when you, when you take a nap, the sleeper does not cease to exist. When I left the eye doctor on Friday, they gave me an Ambien, and I took that, and I did not cease to exist, but I took a good, solid nap and pretty much slept through the entire night. So the use of the word sleep here reminds us of the temporary nature of death for a believer because resurrection is coming. And yet the Bible never describes the death of an unbeliever as sleep because there is no peace, there is no rest, there is no comfort. Concerning those who are asleep so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. At the time of this letter in the unbelieving world, there was no hope as it relates to death. A couple quotes from people at that time included this. Of a, man's, of, of a man once dead, there is no resurrection. Or hope is among the living, the dead are without hope. 
In ancient Rome, in one of the magnificent tombs, there was this infamous, depressing inscription of, I was not, I became, I am not, I care not. I was not, I became, I am not, I care not. When Paul says, like the rest, he's talking about unbelievers in the world itself, those who were in Christ who had not put their faith in the Lord yet. And he's saying when death comes their way, they grieve with no hope. See, the idea of the resurrection to this day, it it sounds foolish. It sounds impossible to the culture. Rather, the belief was that once a person was dead, there was no resurrection. That's it, no hope. But for the believer in Christ, for the church, we still grieve the loss of loved ones. But also mixed in with that grief is hope. It is such a silly idea that some suggest that as Christians, we should not grieve loss. Or that because we are believers and we have hope, that that hope should somehow cancel out our grief completely. Or that the more spiritually mature you are, the less you grieve. No, the loss of a loved one is like an amputation. Something's been cut out of your life. Someone who was precious to you is no longer with you in the flesh and grief is the result and yet hope is there as well. The sour of grief mixed in with the sweetness of hope. Jesus grieved the death of Lazarus. John eleven thirty five 35 tells us Jesus wept. New to scripture memory? Start there. Or this month, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, you can start there. 15 and 16, or 15, I'm sorry, 16 and 17, Tell us, rejoice always, pray constantly. Four words, two verses. There it is. Just get that momentum rolling when it comes to Scripture memory. But Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and yet he still weeps. He still grieves. Romans 12, 15 calls the church not only to rejoice with those who rejoice, but also weep with those who weep. So there is an assumption that among in, in the local church, there's going to be both grief and rejoicing. Paul validates them both in Romans 12. He validates them both here in chapter 4. We will grieve, but it will be mingled and mixed in with hope. To grieve with hope is not to grieve with wishful thinking. Rather, it is to grieve with, with hope that is promised, assured. Hope that is based and rooted in the faithfulness of our God, a Father who is forever faithful to His children. When a Christian passes away, it is like they they lay down for a nap and then they wake up in glory. There is no such thing as soul sleep or this third state. It is either I'm here in the body or I'm with the Lord. And where am I getting that? The Bible. I'm getting it from the Bible. I get my answers from the Bible. Hopefully you do as well. But Paul refers to this reality in a couple places. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8 says, So we are always confident... And know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Or Philippians 1, through 24, he says, Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ which is far better, he writes, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Two options that Paul gives, living here for Christ or being with Christ 
in eternity. No temporary status. And what you see in both of those passages is this truth that it is far better. It is a preference to be with the Lord. At a funeral, everyone in that space grieves. And yet the person they are grieving over is no longer grieving, no longer suffering. They are in a far better, to steal the words of Paul here, a far better place. The person is now home with the Lord. The body remains in the grave awaiting the resurrection, but the soul is with the Lord instantly. A quick note on cremation. I've talked to believers who have thought they messed up God's ability to resurrect someone at the second coming because of cremation. It's not true. Cremation doesn't hinder God's ability to do what He's promised to do for those who who died in Christ. It doesn't mean that they will be ineligible for the resurrection of the dead. So be comforted. Don't be anxious. Be comforted. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. Now the word if there is not, a, not implying iffy. It is rather since we believe, laying this foundation to build upon. And what's that belief to build upon? Well, it's the gospel. He says, Jesus died and rose again. This is the foundation upon which we grieve and yet grieve with hope. We are Easter people, not just on Easter. We don't have to wait till spring and pastels and flowers blooming to remind ourselves that we are Easter people. We are Easter people all the time. This week included, we are resurrection people. Jesus died and rose again, and our faith is in Him. So our faith is sure, it's steadfast, it's unwavering. Peter calls it a living hope that is not determined by earthly circumstances, a living hope. In chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he writes, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the resurrection was central to the New Testament church. It changes everything, and Paul is pointing the Thessalonians back to this in verse 14. The resurrection of Jesus was literal and it was physical. Ours will be as well. This is what Paul is saying in the phrase, in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. One truth flows into the next. This is the truth of 1 Corinthians 15 as well. Christ's resurrection guarantees ours. We have been and we will be made alive in Christ. Jesus can raise someone from the dead whether they've been dead for three hours, three days, three years, three centuries. You get the point. So be comforted, be encouraged. The loved ones we have lost who are in Christ, they are still in Christ. They won't miss out on the second coming. They won't miss out on the resurrection. And one day for us, after this life is over, if He doesn't return in this lifetime, we too will be raised from the dead. We will experience a bodily resurrection. Verse 15, for we say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. There is authority in these words. 
This is truth from the word of the Lord. We, so we don't want iffy at a funeral, do we? We don't want wish upon a star kind of thinking. We want to be assured with unchanging truth that doesn't find its origin in humans, but finds its origin in the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and His unchanging word that can be trusted. The Thessalonians were under the assumption that only the living would go out to meet the Lord on His triumphal and royal second coming. And they were fearful that the sleeping would miss out. But how will they awake from their sleep? Verse 16, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The first advent, Christmas, this is one reason why we love Christmas. It's so quiet sometimes. It's obscure. It's small town, born out in the barn, humble, meek, lowly, quiet, still. This second advent is triumphant. Verse 16 might be the noisiest verse in the Bible. And in all that sound, it is declaring to our hearts, our loved ones who are in Christ, who are no longer with us, won't miss out. The Lord will return and they will rise with a shout. It's the same word that, that a ship captain would give to the, to the men who are rowing the ship. It's a, it's a command that leads to a response. They will rise with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God. In the Old Testament, one reason a, a trumpet was blown was to gather God's people. All these audible signals that begin this remarkable, incredible event, this will not be a silent, obscure, secret event. It won't be hidden away. It won't be announced to shepherds who are keeping watch out in the field. No, this is worldwide. And you and I cannot get our minds around that. This is a whole other level of magnificence whole other level of magnitude. The dead in Christ will rise first. Notice they are in Christ even in death. That position has not changed. Not all the dead will rise, only those in Christ, hidden in Him, secure in Him, forgiven in Him, saved in Him, and they will rise first, meaning they won't be at a disadvantage at the second coming. They won't be shoved to the back of the line. They won't be running in late to the party in the clouds. The living will have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. Those who have fallen asleep prior to the second coming of their Savior will experience the fullest of joy on this day. And they will do so alongside those who are still alive. The fullest of joy. If you have seen a loved one suffer on this side of heaven, first of all, they are with the Lord. They are in a far better presence with the Lord, and they will experience the fullest of joy on this day. Verse 17, then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. The bodies of all believers who have died will be raised from the dead, reunited with their souls, and then the entire Christian church, through history, the living the resurrected will meet together with the Lord in unity, in victory, in worship, in celebration amidst the clouds, the clouds being this picture being where heaven meets earth or where the heavenly meets the human. 
This is a dramatic scene that, again, we cannot get our heads around because we've never seen anything like it. It should drive us to worship. It should drive us to pray. It should drive us to depend upon the Lord. Caught up together is this idea of rapture being snatched up, a, a sudden swoop that captures everyone in one motion like a thief in the night comes in. The timing of the rapture in the timetable of God's prophetic plan is a matter of debate among Bible-believing Christians. It's a secondary matter of doctrine. Debates over end times and premillennial and postmillennial and amillennial and pre-trib and post-trib, and these are not dividing lines in the fellowship that we share in Christ, in the family of God. Paul's point in this letter is not to detail out the finer points of timing. His point is to bring comfort to those who grieve and to inform them with this truth so that they might go out and, and encourage others with this truth and bring hope to one another. In uh, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, he details out what all believers can agree upon as it relates to the study of end times, or the eschatology is the word there. All of these truths are ones that are found in our statement of beliefs that I read at the beginning of this message. So, so what are some of these, these pieces of truth that we all agree upon? First, there will be a sudden, personal, visible, bodily return of Christ, and we are called to be ready. And we are called to be ready. We should eagerly long for Christ's return. Anytime we see the brokenness of sin in our world, we should be praying, come Lord Jesus. So guess what? This week, every single day, you'll see brokenness. So every single day is an opportunity for us to pray, come Lord Jesus. That longing for the second coming doesn't promote passivity in us, but rather faithful, prayerful, obedient activity. Not passivity, bomb shelter, let's sit by the window and wait. No, prayerful, obedient, faithful activity 24-7 in the time that we've been given because the time is precious. The days are evil, the time is precious. What are we going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Paul's not saying sit by the window and wait for the, the groom to show up. He's saying faithful, prayerful activity and go. Go as a way of life. To be ready does not mean to sit. It is rather this posture of your heart and life that you're going to work and you're going to worship Him as a way of life. Not for one hour a week, not during this part of your life, as a way of life, 24-7, active prayerful, waiting, eagerly longing for His return. As one commentary wrote, one of the wonderful things about the hope of His coming is that it burns brightly in the hearts of each generation of Christians regardless of how long His return is delayed. I love that, last, I love that quote except the last word because it's not accurate. His return is never delayed. It feels delayed to us. His timing's perfect. Second Peter, patient, not wanting anyone to perish. His timing is perfect. Another truth we all agree upon is we do not know when Christ will return. So don't believe the person who says they know, who wrote the book, 
got the podcast, rented the billboard, don't believe the person. Go with Jesus on this one. And Jesus specifically says, we will not know the day, the time, the hour. Go with Christ on this one. Do not go with the next person week after week. I know the time. No, you don't. Go with the Son of God. And all Christians who take the Bible as their authority would agree that the final and ultimate result of Christ's return will be the judgment of unbelievers and the final reward of believers. New heaven, new earth for all eternity. No more sorrow, separation, sin, grief. Rather, eternal joy, delight, rest, peace. At the end of verse 17, he writes, we will always be with the Lord. This is what we agree upon. The beauty of heaven, the goal of heaven, the reward of heaven is that we are with the Lord, unhindered by sin. And again, you and I cannot get our heads around how beautiful that's going to be. The Lord is coming, and for all eternity, those who are in Christ will be with Him. And on this side of heaven, on this side of verse 17 coming to pass, the truth that we will always be with the Lord, it should bring us on this side confidence, peace, assurance, courage, biblical courage to press on to prayerful, faithful, obedient activity. We are assured that one day we will experience the far better of being with the Lord and we can be assured that the loss of loved ones that we still grieve over are already experiencing the far better. Finally, verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. He doesn't say, be encouraged by these words. He doesn't say, hey, Thessalonian church, send them to me. I'll encourage them. No, he says, encourage one another. Pour courage into one another with this truth. Do something with this truth. Don't just receive it, but turn around and give it away. Share it. Speak it. Show it. There is a community element to the Scriptures. It's all over the place. Back in January, we talked about the nations, and, and Seth talked about, the speaker talked about, that once you see that, you can't unsee it. I hope that you're seeing in the New Testament the community element that once you see it, you can't unsee it and somehow turn that into this individualistic, only about me and my Bible. We've been joined into a family, a body that we are a member of. The church is at its healthiest when the body of Christ is ministering to the body of Christ. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind, of, any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So we receive comfort not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. So we might go out and show it. Who do you need to encourage with these words? Who do you need to reach out to this week to remind them of the living hope that we have in Christ, the imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance we have in Him. Consider that in eternity, we don't need hope anymore. Because every promise that the Lord has given us in the Scriptures, including here in 1 Thessalonians 4, every promise that has been made in eternity, it has come to pass. Every hope has been realized, every promise kept Everything unseen, this side of heaven that requires faith, will be seen 
and experience, unhindered by sin, suffering, separation. Our God is faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will not forsake His children. Church, encourage one another with these words. Take courage that your faithfulness and your obedience to the Lord is never squandered, never wasted. Take comfort in your grief that those who in Christ have passed away, who we grieve their loss, they are with the Lord. Resurrection is promised to them just as it is for us if we pass away prior to His return. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 14-18, For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, he writes, but what is unseen is eternal. May the Lord help us 24-7 daily, moment by moment, focus our eyes on what is unseen and live in light of that truth. Lord, thank you that the gospel is a gospel of hope. And that hope is so assured, so secure, so steady. It is an anchor to our souls, an anchor to our daily life. I pray that we would live with living hope as we move forward. No matter our circumstances, no matter what is around us, may we live prayerfully and faithfully for your mission, for your ministry, for your kingdom, for your glory and your name's sake. I pray that those of us who grieve the loss of loved ones today, I pray that you would comfort and bring hope that you would minister to us, whether in person or online, that you would comfort us with the truth that the resurrection is promised to those who have passed away in Christ. Thank you that the gospel not only changes and transforms our earthly life, but our eternal life. So teach us to depend upon you. Teach us to be transformed by your gospel and transformed by your word and spirit. We welcome its work. Enable us this week to have opportunity to encourage one another with this truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.